And we are going to continue our study in the book of Genesis. It's been a few weeks since I've been here with you, but today I have the joy of looking at the seventh day of God's creation. And we have patiently made our way through the first six days, and we saw the crown jewel of God's creation in the creation of man. God made us. You know, people struggle, well, how did I get here? Well, the Scripture has the answer for that, and those that have not chosen to look at the book that's been given to us through the revelation of God are still trying to figure out how we got there. We just put the James Webb telescope into outer space on Christmas Day. And part of the reason for that is they wanted to discover the origins of the universe and how this all got here and and then how we got here and and everything about this matter that's out there. And, of course, then the theory of evolution. It's called a theory, you know that. Theory of evolution is that um, there was eternal matter that somehow collided, and there was this big explosion. And out of uh, matter that had no life, life began. And then somehow on this globe, with all of its intricacy and, and all of its balance and all of its... Uh, design that somehow out of a cesspool there came a little organism that then evolved and then changed into another organism and then it evolved and and all of this theory that to me as a human being makes no sense When I begin to understand that the eternal creator is powerful, I believe in an eternal being. I don't believe in eternal matter. I believe that there is one called God who is extremely powerful and that he made not only me, but he made the world and he made the solar system And all of those galaxies, he made the expanse of heaven. What a creator he is. And then in the kindness of his grace, he has revealed himself to us. In the creation, the Bible says that creation itself is one of the ways that God has revealed himself to us. So you look at the creation and you discover that God is extremely powerful. But then the Bible tells us that God's revealed himself to our conscience within us. We know that there is a God and that God has revealed himself to us in the Scripture. And you have heard me say that the Bible is unlike any other book in human history. There is no other book in the history of humanity that contains the prophecy of the Bible. Not a single human being can tell us the end from the beginning. But God can. This being that is extremely powerful sets in motion everything, keeps everything in motion. He has the power 
to tell us the end from the beginning. And so the revelation of nature, the revelation of our conscience, the revelation of the Bible, but the greatest revelation of all is 2,000 years ago there was one sent from heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is the one who reveals the Father. So it has been a joy to just begin to understand as human beings who we are. How did we get here? What is the purpose of life? What lies beyond the grave? Is there an eternity in front of us? What does this great God of glory have planned for us? And for someone like me that embraces what we have been calling a biblical worldview, we are bringing to you the opening chapters of the Bible which establish a biblical worldview. That's how I view life. I view it through the lens of the Bible. And I'm at peace. I'm at peace knowing how I got here. I'm at peace knowing that this great God of glory has reconciled me to himself. I'm at peace knowing that there is an eternal future plan for me that I'm not even going to be able to comprehend, but that in the ages to come, ages, plural, to come, he's going to show me kindness in Christ. That's how I view everything. And we beg you to view the same, life the same way. We, we, we are introducing to you a foundation of a biblical worldview. And many of you have never had that in your life. All that you've known is the humanistic, man-centered worldview who believes that you're just a piece of little organism, that you really don't have any meaning, and, and uh, man is the measure of everything. Not God, not a creator, not a divine, not a deity, but us, man, look at us. Yeah, so we last for 70 years or 80 years, and then we die. Then what? Is that all there is? And so it's been a delight to bring to you this series. And we learned last week, um, Henry preached on the dignity of man, that God made male and female in his image that we bear the image of God. And there is something about every single one of us that reflects on who God is. That image has not been erased, it's been effaced. It's been marred. But when I look out, even, even upon all of you today, and I see the diversity not only ethnically, but within ethnicities, our own personal diversity. We look different than one another. Each one of us has a unique thumbprint. No other thumbprint like it in the world. Each one of us have our own DNA. No other DNA like ours in the history of humanity. That's how unique we are. And yet God has made diversity among the single humanity. Now, why would he do that? Well, as you study the character of God and the nature of God and the person of God as revealed in the book of God, God reveals himself as a unity with diversity of persons. 
what a being he is. And he created everything and set it in motion and keeps it in motion. And we are able to determine time year by year because he hung the sun out there in our galaxy, one of billions of galaxies out there, and he took this world that he has made, no other world like it in the universe. They're thinking maybe this new telescope will find life somewhere. Well, the Hubble didn't. No, they're going to discover how, how God did all of this for us. And that these heavens that surround us declare his glory. And we see the vastness of that and we might ask the question, then, who are we that God would be mindful of us? He wants you to know who you are in his sight. He wants you to understand the value that you have. He wants you to understand the purpose of life. He wants you to understand who he is in relationship to who you are. And so now this globe is going around the sun and it's been doing it for thousands of years and it's not even swung out of the orbit and drifted off into space. God's held it right there. Not in a perfect circle, but I mean there's an elliptical circle. And with that, he gives us the four seasons of the year. And he made a comment in the book thousands of years ago that springtime and harvest and summer and winter would never disappear. And then if that were not enough, having created that greater light to rule the day, he created that lesser light that reflects the sun and we see it at night and that lesser light, the moon, goes around the earth. And it has continued to go around the earth in the same orbit for thousands and thousands of years. Can you explain that to me apart from a divine power? Why haven't all of these stars just dropped into space? No, they're held there. Do you know the answer to that? The Bible says that not only did God create it, but that he is sustaining it. What a powerful God we have. But that moon goes around the earth, and not only do we have the years from the sun, but my friend, we have the months from the moon. You know, even the term month, comes from the same cognate as moon. <laughs> but there's something else that God did. Not only gave us years, not only gave us months, but with the spinning of this earth on its axis, a speed that has remained constant for thousands of years. And because of that, we have evening and morning. And he has given us days. And not only that, but God has determined in his timetable to not only give us years and months and days, but he has determined to give us weeks. 
weeks made up of seven days. And that brings me today to Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. That is our text. And we read about the seventh day of God's first week. And thousands of years later, we are still determining time by the calendar that God set up and measuring our time by weeks. So let's read the text. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. And so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. The work was done. No longer a need for work in creation. And so God determined that that seventh day of the week, the day which spoke of work being completed, that he would designate it as a day of the cessation of work and rest and reflection and refreshment. Now God, the Bible says God rested. He didn't rest because he was tired. Know that word for Shabbat means to cease from work. The work was completed. And when you look at Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, you discover that that seventh day of the week was blessed by God, separated from the other six days. That's what it means to be made holy, to be separate. Separate from all the six. And God did that because the work of creation was done. And then you come to some other chapters in the Bible that reference this. You come to the book of Exodus chapter 20. You come to the Ten Commandments. You've all heard of the Ten Commandments. A couple years ago, we preached through all ten of those commandments. And I want to read for you in Exodus chapter 20, where the Lord came to the nation of Israel after he had redeemed them from Egypt. And he told them, remember the Sabbath day. Remember this day of cessation and rest that I established from the very beginning of, of creation. Remember it to keep it holy. Make a distinction between the seventh day of the week so that it's not like the first six days of the week 
For six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who's within your gate. I'm very quick to point out to my wife, but it doesn't say your wife. (laughs) So why is God saying, listen, in six days do all of your work, but on the seventh one don't do any work? It's because he said, I made you. I made you and all of my creation in six days and it was completed. I want you to be reminded of what I did. And not only that, he says, I want you to give your people a break from their working too. And not only that, he says, I want you to give your livestock a break a break so that they're not working either. You know, some people think that I have got to work seven days a week just to make it. Now, I know in this economy, it makes you think you have to, right? But God wanted to teach the nation of Israel something else too. He wanted to teach them dependence on himself. And matter of fact, on Friday before the Sabbath, as you trace God working with them in the wilderness on the way to the land of Canaan, he told them to gather on Friday extra manna for Sabbath so that they wouldn't have to go out on Sabbath day and gather for themselves. And guess what? Guess what? God didn't give the manna on Sabbath. But he gave them enough on Friday to last for Friday and Saturday. In other words, God's saying, trust me. Trust me to provide for you. Trust me when I say to you, remember that I'm your creator. And so he says to them, remember that. For in six days, why? For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, God blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it distinct. You know, one of the things that the Sabbath day, the seventh day of the week, commemorates is that God is a creator. Do you know what I, I, I've commented on, on Saturday? I have two services I preach on Saturday. And many a Saturday over the past number of years, I have reminded everyone who has come that God finished his work of creation and on the seventh day it was done. Therefore, remember that he's your creator. Do you know that that's why God gives us seventh day in every week? Can you imagine if you rose every Saturday morning and you stopped and you looked toward heaven and you said, God, you are my creator. You made me. I am your creation. And I acknowledge that you're the maker. That's where it all has to start. He made you. He made me. He gave us this weekly cycle to bring us every single week to that understanding and remembrance. 
That's found in Exodus chapter 20. But there is another record of the Ten Commandments that's found in the book of Deuteronomy. And in a moment, I'm going to turn to that slide, but I want to show you another one in Exodus that comes from the 31st chapter. And the Lord spoke to Moses. And, and this is while Moses was on the mountain getting the first tablets of stone. He's getting the law of God. He's getting the Ten Commandments. And God is giving him more than just the Ten Commandments. You read through the book of Exodus and you discover that God gave him a lot more information, a lot more laws, a lot more things. But, but the, he's up on the mountain. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, verse 13, But as for you, speak to the sons of Israel saying, You shall surely observe my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. I'm going to come back to that in a moment. God gave the nation of Israel his Sabbaths forever. Matter of fact, thousands of years after God established the Sabbath at creation, and 3,500 years ago, when he gave it to the nation of Israel, for thousands of years, 3,000 plus years, Jewish people around the world have been acknowledging a seventh-day Sabbath. And right here in New York City, you can go into Jewish temples, and you will discover that they many of them have set aside the recognition of the seventh day as special. Therefore, you are to observe the Sabbath, for it is holy to you. While God gave it to the nation of Israel, there are texts in the Old Testament where he invites non-Jewish people that want to remember his Sabbath to come and remember his Sabbath. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death. For whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. Why? For six days work may be done, but on the seventh day there is a Sabbath of complete rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall surely be put to death. So the sons of Israel shall observe the Sabbath to celebrate the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the sons of Israel forever. Why? For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, but on the seventh day he ceased from labor and was refreshed. And when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, he gave Moses the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written by the finger of God. Once again, God comes and he says, I want you to know that this seventh day of the week is to be a reminder to you that I am a creator. But I also want to note with you that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Not only is the Lord a creator, but he's the one who sanctifies and that leads me to the second giving of the Ten Commandments found in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 5. And this was given 
to the generation of children. You know, when God brought the nation of Israel out of the land of Egypt and was taking them to the land of promise, the land of Canaan, they sent spies into the land, 12 spies, one for each tribe, and 10 of them come back and say, listen, this land that God's going to give us, that he promised to us, it's full of giants. We can't take this land. Oh, it's the land flowing with milk and honey. But it's too difficult. I mean, they've got walled cities. There's no way we can take this land. They did not believe God. They did not believe what God had promised. And only two of the spies, Caleb and Joshua, believed and told the people, yes, let's take the land. It's the promised land. Take it. God will give it to us. Well, guess what? That generation of adults did not believe God, and they didn't enter their rest. Now, don't miss that. Because as you study in the Bible, the land of Israel, it is a picture of rest. And they could not enter that rest, the text says, because of their unbelief. Don't miss that. But to that generation, that older generation had to die for 40 years. They wandered in the wilderness. And then their children are, they've died off. Their children are grown up. And now they're faced with entering the land, and God comes to them a second time and gives them the Ten Commandments, gives them the law from the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. Deuter, meaning two. Namas, law, the second giving of the law. That's why it's found in Deuteronomy chapter 5. The younger generation. And tucked in those Ten Commandments is a command again about the Sabbath. And, And so let's read it. Deuteronomy 5, verse 12, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who's within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. Do you think there's a humanitarian aspect to the to Sabbath command? Yes or no? Of course there is. You see, this day of rest was for man. Matter of fact, the Lord Jesus said that the Sabbath, man was not made for the Sabbath but the Sabbath was made for man. Do you know every single one of us are in need of rest and refreshment? Did you know that? When you're driven, can you imagine being driven every day of the week, every day of the month, every day of the year for the past 10, 15 years of your life? You know what that stress is like. You know how exhausting that is. You know that the cry is, I need respite. I need refreshment. I need to be rebooted. We all get that, right? I know I do. 
Now let's continue to read. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and here it is, the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. In Exodus chapter 20, the call of the Sabbath is to remember that God is your creator. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, the call of the Sabbath is to remember that God is your redeemer. And Exodus chapter 31 is a call to remember that God is a sanctifier. And so you know what I like to remember every seventh day of the week? And I remind myself often of this, that God made me. And in the grace of God, he redeemed me. And in the grace of God, he is sanctifying me. Matter of fact, on Sunday afternoons, we are preaching a series on the believer's radical call to holiness, radical call to be set apart for the glory of God. And that weekly seventh day reminds us of all of these things. It was made for man. It's their humanitarian. Reflect on God as creator. Reflect on God as redeemer. But you know that beyond the weekly seventh day Sabbath, that when you read the law of Moses and the history of Israel, that God added many more Sabbath days in their calendar. Did you know that? They came to the end of the month, and there was another Sabbath to celebrate the end of the month. And then he gave them all these festivals. He gave them springtime feast and fall feast. Matter of fact, we just came through the Passover season. And tucked right into that eight-day festival were Sabbaths, additional Sabbaths, beyond the weekly Sabbaths. And you go into the fall festival, there's... There are other Sabbaths, a day of cessation, a day of rest, a day of reflection, a day of remembering that God is a creator, a redeemer, and a sanctifier woven into their calendar. I believe that the God who made heaven and earth intends for humanity, every single one of us, to remember that he made us. And he wants every single one of us to know that he will redeem us for his glory if we come to him to be reconciled. And then those of us that have come to him to be reconciled in Christ, that he will continue to sanctify us. That he'll continue to set us apart for his will and his work and his ways and his glory. But I believe all of these things were shadows. And by the matter of way, the Bible says that. It says that the feasts of Israel and even the Sabbaths that he gave Israel were a shadow of something. Now, we all know what a shadow is. Um, I'm walking around on the carpet up here. I look down at the floor, and something's moving along with me. I see it in the carpet. It's called my What? my shadow. But for that shadow to be on the carpet, there has to be a reality. I'm the reality, that's the shadow. I'm very thankful. um, All the years I've been married to my wife, nearly 40, 
known her for 44, been married to her for 40. When I would come home, come through the door of the house, I guarantee you, this is the truth. I'm telling you the truth, okay? In the 40-some years I've been married, my wife never dropped to the floor and embraced my shadow. She embraced the reality. And our God wants us to look beyond the shadows that he created. One of them, the seventh day of rest and the monthly Sabbaths, and the festive Sabbaths, and the yearly Sabbaths. By the way, the number seven figures all the way through the Bible. It's a special number because God wants us to focus on something, and it's rest. But where does humanity find its rest? Who is the reality of which all of these things are a shadow? But you come to the New Testament, you learn and you hear from Jesus himself, and he says, come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know what some of you are looking for? You look at your life and you're outside of Christ and you are bearing things that are almost impossible for you to bear and your soul is weary and your spirit is weary. And you're looking for rest. You're looking for, 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 for rest from your anxiety. You're longing to understand what life is all about. And your burdens are heavy. And your guilt is squashing you. You're longing for rest. The Lord Jesus is the reality that brings us to rest with our God. And just as God told the nation of Israel, the land is a symbol of rest, but you can't enter it if you're an unbelief. He comes to us and he says that you must enter Christ and you enter a relationship with him by faith in him. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And Hebrews chapter 4 says that those who have believed enter into rest. Do you know where I found rest from my weary souls? It wasn't through the effort of my own hands. It wasn't through mental gymnastics. But my friend, when I put my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, I found rest for my anxious soul. The Lord Jesus loved to minister on Sabbath. Matter of fact, he got himself in trouble with a lot of the religious leaders of his day because of the work that he was doing. Matter of fact, the Bible says he went about doing good on the Sabbath. Do you know why I have two distributions of food on the Sabbath day in this place? I actually have two chapels on the Sabbath day in this place. You know why I do that? 
Because in this space, we are going to use the Sabbath too to go about doing good for our neighbor. Just like the Lord Jesus. By the way, it is a lot of work. But you can come and we won't make you work, okay? We'll give you rest. Those of us that make it happen have to work. But the Bible says that he was hated because he did good on the Sabbath. Matter of fact, he healed a man on the Sabbath who had a withered hand. And he was in a synagogue. And he told that man, stretch forth your withered hand. And the religious leaders looked at him and said, you're breaking the Sabbath command. You're healing a man on the Sabbath. Thou shalt not work on the Sabbath. And Jesus said, hey, listen, the Sabbath was made for man. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. And by the way, I'm going to do good for this man with a withered hand. And the Lord was very familiar with the Sabbath. Matter of fact, the Bible says that it was his custom since childhood to go to the synagogue on the Sabbath, Luke chapter 4 and verse 16. And so when he was in Nazareth during the public ministry, he went into a synagogue on the Sabbath day in Capernaum, which was the hometown of Peter. I've been over to Israel. I've been in Capernaum. And in the town of Capernaum, right on the Sea of Galilee, right next to a place that they said Peter lived, right next to it was a synagogue. The foundation that was existing in Jesus' day, you can see there's a difference between black stone and white stone. And that foundation at that synagogue I was on top of walking around knowing that I'm in the same space that Jesus was when he was in Capernaum on the Sabbath day. I was in another town. It was called Magdala. Have you ever heard of the lady Mary Magdalene? It's Mary from Magdala. And just a few years ago, they were excavating, getting ready to put a hotel up, and they discovered this site. Of course, that shut down the building of the hotel, and they began to excavate it. And they discovered it was the ancient town of Magdala. And one of the things they uncovered there was a synagogue. Right down to the mosaic stone from Jesus' day. And the New Testament said that he went around to all the synagogues in that region teaching and healing. And I'm standing right there in that space thinking about my Lord who has brought me rest and his teaching and his healing ministry in the synagogues there was a woman who was bent over double for 18 years bent over double from a evil spirit 18 years her back would hurt and her neck couldn't look up and, and Jesus found her in a synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he healed her. And she instantly stood. There was a man suffering from a disease they called cropsy, and on the Sabbath day, he healed the man. Here was another man, 38 years, he was sick, and he would go to a pool over there that was near the sheep gate where they would bring in all the sheep for Passover, and he had been there for 38 years. Sick, lying down. And Jesus came on the Sabbath day and he healed them. 
He opened the eyes of a man who had been blind from his birth on Sabbath day, John 9. And you begin to look at the one who can bring us rest, and you discover that he did good on Shabbat. He wanted to show humanity that he is the rest. This is my work. And you realize this too, that the Lord Jesus Christ, when you read the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that Matthew will spend a fourth of his gospel talking about the last week of Jesus' life. Mark will spend the last third of his gospel. Luke, the last fourth of his gospel. And John, the last half of his gospel to the final week in Christ's life. God is trying to say something in those gospels. And I'll tell you what he's saying. You come through Sunday and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and you come to Friday, the day before Shabbat. And you know what he did on Friday 2,000 years ago? I'll tell you what he did. He went to the cross of Calvary and hung there as the Lamb of God as a sin offering for his people. And just before he died, he cried, It is finished. The work is done. The work that you sent me to do, Father, is done. I've completed it. Just like God had completed his work on the sixth day with the crown jewel of humanity and God rested on Shabbat, Christ finished his work on Friday. And on Sabbath day, his body lie in a tomb. But do you know what happened on the first day of the week? Death was conquered. Sin was conquered, and the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And so you know what I do here every first day of the week? Oh, on Sabbath day, I will remember that God is my creator, that God is my redeemer, that God is my sanctifier, but I gather with people on the first day of the week and remember that the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And I celebrate that every single week. He rose on the first day of the week. But you know, 40 days later, on the Sabbath day, he ascended to heaven. And he is seated at the right hand of God. And I'm closing this teaching out today by calling on you to comprehend what Sabbath is all about. You desperately need rest. And you will never experience the rest that God has for you in this life and into the eternal ages to come unless you believe. You enter eternal rest by faith in Christ. And today, Hebrews chapter 4. Today, every day there's a new day. Every week there's a new week. But today, God is calling on you to repent and believe. This is the day. 
and he'll bring you in a few days to a Saturday again. And I hope down deep in the recesses of your mind, you'll have to stop and acknowledge that God created you. And having thought about that, then to think about the fact that he will redeem you. He will buy you out of the slave market of your own sin. He'll buy you out of the slave market of death. He'll make you his very own. You'll become a part of the people of God. And then you'll remember that he can sanctify you and set you apart in your life for his glory. I hope you remember that. But then I hope that on the first day of the week, you'll remember that the one who can give you rest is the Lord Jesus Christ who reversed death and came back to life again. You show me a man who can conquer death, and I'll follow him. A lot of theology. I've got to stop. I went too long today. But a lot of theology in the Word of God on the rest that God can give you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I am thankful. Great God of glory that you create, that you redeem, that you sanctify, and you're calling people to your eternal rest by faith in Christ the one who brings rest. Lord, you know the hearts of the men and women in this room. You know those who have believed. And I pray that you will grant to others the gift of faith, Lord. That you will deliver them, Lord Jesus, as you delivered so many on Sabbath day when you were here. From evil spirits, Lord. So I commit them to you. And I ask for their salvation and redemption. In Jesus' name, amen.